Introducing. Thanks. <laughs> hey, good morning. It's good to see you guys. I've always wanted to have like walk-up music. And I've always like, so when I was in boxing, my walk-up music was Five Minutes Alone by Pantera, which might not be appropriate for this setting, but I could stand in the back. But I think I would come out now to Stone Cold's music, like the Breaking Glass, and I'd come out and shatter two beers and chug them, and that's how we'd start a Sunday morning. That's my <laughs> ideal setup. And this is what happens when I just have to improvise a thing because I wasn't ready to go this morning. So this is what you get. Today's going to be a train wreck. Um, <laughs> man, I'm glad to see you guys. We're going to do a uh, new sermon series today, and we're going to do the Old Testament. And we're going to be spending a lot of time for the next seven weeks thinking about identity, about who we are, and about how we respond to who we are, and how we allow God to call us to be who we're supposed to be. And uh, doing those in the sense of us, us as unique individuals and us as a sense of a whole. So um, I'm really excited about that. I've done a lot of work. We're going to have a guest speaker in a couple weeks that's going to come in and preach for us from the school that I went to that I'm really excited. That Justin and I and Joel and Kristen and Kristen. Is that all the CCU people? Jeremy. Jeremy. Jeremy's a CCU guy. What? Ben, right? Um, so, man, we're... Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got CCU people, too. Man, we're just like a hospital of recovering CCU people right now. Um, oh, whoa. Oh, stop it. Sorry. Oh, it's <laughs> Monty was out of town for 10 minutes. Um, man, we love you guys. We're so glad that you're here. We are going to pray, and we're going to spend some time in prayer and meditation this morning. We're... Um, we're going to sing songs. We're gonna, like, and I think about this. I try to frame this every week. We're going to refrain from singing songs about God and push towards singing songs to God. In our, actively in our imagination, pretend and work and live as if God's actively present in the room with us right now. And see how that changes the songs and the prayers and those kind of things and what we do. So, um, man, we're glad you're here. I'm going to start, and uh, we'll see where this goes. Lord Jesus, thank you for your call on our lives. Thank you for the ways that you bring us here, that you bring us to our families, to our work, to our neighborhoods, to our, to our whoever, Lord. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be brave and courageous, Lord, to be the people you've called us to be in the way you've called us to be them. We love you and we trust you in your powerful name. Amen. Good morning, guys. You want to stand up and sing some songs with us? This mic feels real hot. Is it, is it too hot? <laughs> a little ringy. Let me turn it down a little bit.
Sometimes where I want um, to have something so spiritually profound to say to you, um, I, I don't today. <laughs> I just don't. Um, you know, I was talking to Roy earlier this morning. Roy gave me permission to just. And I, I needed to hear that from Roy too. Um, sometimes I'm just gonna sit in the worship today. You know what I mean? I'm just gonna be present in what we're singing and what we're saying. It's just like a time of this week right now or that's all I really have left to give and sometimes that might be all you have to give um, and that's okay you don't I I don't man I should not be in charge of anybody's spirit, <laughs> like a spiritual um, guru or anything like that um, that's why Jason makes a million dollars here thank you <laughs> Okay. You got it. 
seated above, enthroned in the Father's love. Destined to die, poured out for all God's only Son, perfect and spotless One. He never sinned, but suffered as if He did. All of
Your love shines in darkest places, reaching for my heart. In your light, I the pieces, every missing part. The hope is found in hopeless places, everywhere you are. Take my hand and lead me forward, forward to the start. I need you. 
message today um, and send our love and our energy to places in the world that are struggling right now that need it the most. Know that we are with them in thought, word, and deed. Amen. Hey, say hi to somebody that you've never met before. Um, make it weird, as always. Hey, good morning. Good morning. There's no bumper video, right, Ashley? Thank you. Uh, man, our friend Casey does a lot of work making things like bumper videos, and he's out this week. And, uh, but those guys in the back have been killing us today and doing a ton of extra work because they've had to learn stuff on the fly today. So, man, I'm really thankful for them. Um, so, like I said, we're going to start this new sermon series. And there's a bit of background for me. Um, when Kim and I first got married, we, well, Kim and I dated all through college. And we, we sort of stopped going to church in college, not from some, like, defiant, we're out sort of way, but we just didn't go. Um, I, Kim and I both went to Miami, and um, I've always found that whatever's the worst part of humanity gets amplified by Miami students. Um, that, <laughs> that was true about the church world in Miami in particular for us. Like, we had bad experiences with church folks in Miami. So we, we just didn't go to church and like, I, I never had a falling out moment. I never, I've never had a really bad experience with the church. I just, I, I wasn't in. And when we first got, and then we got married and we, we traveled out west for our honeymoon. And so I'm in this like 
sort of wandering phase, and I really fell in love with a lot of like Native American religions. This is going somewhere. Um, I really fell in love with a lot of the Native American stories and their religions, and I really got connected to Kokopelli, which is a, an Asazi god out of the Southwest. Um, he's a musician god, which I really liked because I'm a musician. Uh, he's a trickster god, which I thought was kind of fun, and I, I thought the art was cool, so I really wanted some. And then I had these like cool Kokopelli like keychains and artwork, and then I found it was a fertility god, and we got rid of the Kokopelli. Like, just as, as quick as we could. I didn't want that crap around my house that first year we were married. No, thank you. Um, but because of the way I do things, the way I process the world, I imported some of the, like, I, I, I really do, like, sometimes I would still think about Jesus and God and the, the, the character of, of Yahweh with these, like, like, I'm like, oh, sometimes I think Jesus is a trickster god. Sometimes I think Jesus plays with us and plays tricks on us sometimes. Point, case in point, about six months ago, I went to Justin. I said, man, I think we should do a sermon on the book of Joshua. Um, it's an Old Testament book. It follows the Exodus story. And my, at the time, my premise was that um, I was, I'm real worried. And you've heard probably, I probably said it every time I preach for the last three months. I'm real worried about the tribalism in our culture and I'm worried about the way that I see the tribalism in our culture infecting the church. It's always a danger, always a danger, no matter what culture you live in, cultural values seep into the church. The church reflects the culture it's in almost all the time. And we should expect that. That's not like so does, so does every school, so does every business, so does every family group, whatever. We, we swim in cultural waters, we breathe cultural values. I'm real worried. Like it's an ongoing thing that I'm afraid that we're going to be more loyal to our individual tribes than we will to the tribe of Jesus. And we'll start dividing between us. So we'll start saying, if you don't share the right, like, political view, then you're out. Or you don't share the right, like, sports team view, then you're out. Like, we're going to get hyper, hyper-tribalized. I was real worried about that. I said, Joshua will give us a great chance to explore that. Justin said, that's great. And then we started the meme sermon series and just got kind of lost in that, so it took a back burner. And then our friends at Eastminster started talking to us again after like six months of weirdness, about what, like, what would it look like for legend to have a permanent space? And I thought, man, the story of Joshua is the story of Israel moving from wandering tribe to permanent space. What a cool chance for us to use that as a metaphor to think about ourselves and to think about what that move might look like for us as we're daydreaming. It's still in the, like, the, the big picture portion of that process. Man, this is great. Jesus, thank you for giving me this idea. This is great. Joshua's going to work fine. Six months of talking to my Old Testament professor friends, of reading, getting ready to talk about Joshua. We get ready. Last Monday, the entire Middle East blows up. And suddenly, I'm prepared to preach a sermon series on the conquering of the Holy Land while nuclear weapons are pointed at everybody right now, right? And, and of all the hot-button issues in the church right now, right, like Israel and their relationship in the Middle East is a huge dividing line right now in the church. And already, already people are like, hey, are you going to talk about this? Are you going to talk? Are you gonna, are you gonna? I'm like, ah. So weirdly, we're in a position to talk about that. But no, we're not going to talk about that. Um, we are going to talk about it next week at Bear Lakes Theology. Uh, some people have asked. Um, I've spent some time in Israel. I've spent time with friends. I've had friends who are experts in like on-the-ground relationships. So if that's something you'd like to think about, and hear other perspectives on, not have your mind changed, not be taught what's right or wrong, but just hear varying perspectives on next Sunday night, we're going to gather at higher gravity unless I find a new place because I'm not real happy with that place right now. But um, 
We're going to try to talk about that next week in the context because I think, I think talking about the most divisive issue in world politics today with a couple of beers in us is a great idea. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to address it right now because if I don't, the sermon series will get sideways. When we talk about biblical Israel, when we talk about the Israel of the Old Testament, when we talk about the people of God, we are never referring to the modern-day political nation-state of Israel. They are unrelated entities. And the promises of one do not connect to the other. That doesn't dictate a political philosophy for you. If you come here this morning and think that, man, I'm sort of, I think Israel's probably good for that region because they have, they've done more for women's rights in the Middle East than other countries have. That's a, that's a philosophy you could take. If you come and say, man, I'm pro-Palestinian because I'm worried about the, the oppression towards um, Palestinian Christians in Bethlehem and in Nazareth and in Gaza and the West Bank, man, that's a great perspective to take. That's an important point of view. We can hold both of those. We can have conversations about current-day politics. That's not what the book of Joshua is about. And there's a long and varied history towards why I think that. And I want us, because the world needs us, to be thoughtful, to be considerate, to be forerunners of the kingdom of God who announce grace and love and mercy and kindness and goodness and graciousness and self-control and the new creation where Jesus is king over everything. And that means the leaders of Israel and the leaders of Hamas. Right? And so... If you running into, because this is, this is where I think it gets mad. Some of you are right now like refugees from like end times churches, right? I, you've heard my story. I'm an end times victim. I was a guy that knew I was not going to be raptured. Like I knew I was going to be the guy left behind. Um, I still think that's true. Um, if there's a particularly low Sunday morning here one day, I'm like, man, they all got raptured and I got stuck here. Um, that, that undergirds so much of my thought. Um, I say that because that's a trauma that not only informs a lot of political discourse in America, it, it informs a lot of, of um, religious discourse. And we've got to be square on that. And so I don't take a lot of like hardline theological stances. I'm pretty big tent theology-wise. Be really, really wary of someone who connects modern-day political Israel to biblical Israel. Be careful because they're on dangerous ground and there's something else happening there, right? We want to be thoughtful in the way we consume scripture and the way that we understand it and the way we're guided and discipled by it. That's my piece. If you want to hear what I think about all the political issues, you know that I have an opinion about every single thing that's ever happened and I would love to talk to you about that and we're going to talk about that. And as a church, we should be able to talk about that because we love each other and we love each other not for our political beliefs. We love each other because we bear the image of God and every single person with every single political belief is worthy of our love and our honor and our attention, and that's how we break the tribalism of the world. Um, sermon over, band, come back up. Um, but um, so, but that's, that's kind of where we're going to go. So next seven weeks, from now until Christmas, we're going to be thinking about the book of Joshua. We are not going to be thinking about conflict in the Middle East today as we think about that. <laughs> um, but then we probably certainly will. Um, but let me, uh, let me pray before we jump in. Lord Jesus, we come to you in the middle of um, troubled times. We come to you in the middle of conflict interpersonal. We come to you in the middle of conflict internal. 
We come to you in the middle of conflict worldwide. And we want to focus on one, Lord, because it gives us control, or we want to focus on one because it puts us on the right team. We want to focus on one, Lord, because we just want answers. And it feels increasingly, Lord, like what you've given us is a world with lots of grayscale, lots of places to meditate and to learn from our brothers and sisters. So, Lord, as we think about the kind of people we're going to be, as we think about obedience to you, as we think about next phases, Lord, help us to hear your voice. Help us to be a discerning church, a church in prayer, a church in fasting, a church in worship, a church in service, a church that's opening ourselves up to the direction of your spirit for the good of your creation. We love you, we trust you, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so that's been stinking stressful all week. Um, <laughs> I'm also obsessed with bad news. Like, I'm a doom scroller, and so I have trained Twitter to show me the worst of everything, and so I'm obsessed with watching it. I had 15 minutes this morning. I'm like, did anything happen last night? So let's do something biblical instead. Let's do a bit of backstory. I assume that you're all Bible scholars. I assume that you are all people... I assume that you are Bible scholars. I assume that you are all people who know um, the biblical story in and out. That you are the people who um, are paying attention and reading and studying, deeply meditating, memorizing scripture. And I, you remember that Justin and I did a just banger sermon series on the book of Exodus. It changed your life. You rethought it. You watched Prince of Egypt differently. You think differently about like Charlton Heston, all of it, right? Because we're, we're walking the line between history and religion. We're doing it all at once in 15-minute packages on Sunday morning. Um, the book of Joshua follows the book of Exodus. So the book of Exodus is Moses leading his people out of Israel. You know the story. It's the God Wars. The God Yahweh goes to war against all the gods of Egypt. He shows the gods of Egypt that they have zero power. They are created beings, and because they have ceased to manage creation the way that God wants it created, managed, they are out. And Moses is lifted up. The Israelites, the Israelites plunder, and they leave. Remember, they walk out of Egypt victorious, and they go to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, Israel is given an identity. There's Israel nebulously in the Exodus. There's Israel, the children of, of, of Jacob, and Isaac coming out, right? And the, and the 12 sons of Israel. They nebulously exist in Egypt, but the Bible's very, very clear that by the time they leave Egypt, they are a ragtag, mixed race, mixed ideology group of people. It's just former slaves. They are not all blood descendants of the children of Abraham. It's very, very clear in Scripture that it's this massive group that's really diverse and wandering, and they come to Mount Sinai, and at Mount Sinai, they are given an identity as the people of God. Here at Mount Sinai, they are given language, they are given music, they are given religion, they are given civil government, they are given tribal identity, right? It is at Mount Sinai that the slaves become Israel, Israel the nation, right, where they have a cultural background, a common identity. We have it here, right? For all of the divisions in American culture, 95% of us are going to eat at McDonald's sometime this month, right? It's wildly unified. 95% of us are going to watch some trash television this week, right? 
Because in the culture is we have a common shared culture. We'd like to, we'd like to imagine ourselves divided and demographic out. That's a marketing tool. That's not a, real, that's not a reflection of reality. Israel gets that at Mount Sinai as the people of God. It's very important that we see this progression. And so they leave Mount Sinai and they wander for, for like 40 years. You get, to the, you get to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses dies and he gives this long speech and says, now you're going to go take the promised land. You're going to cross over the river Jordan and God's going to give you this land over there, this good land, this land flowing with milk and honey. You'll become a people, a kingdom, like all the nations around you. You'll be stable. You'll be protected. It's important that when we think about the book, the, 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 um, the book of Joshua and the conquest of the promised land, that it wasn't in the sense of this like Israel coming into this like unaware people. This was a violent region where they're trading land all the time. God's very clear that there's like reprehensible things happening in Canaan as well that have to be dealt with because God is a God of love and justice. And so Israel comes in and they conquer the land. And the first half of the book of Joshua is the great stories of the conquering of the land. It's the crossing over the river Jordan where the, the river dries up and they walk across on dry land, right? Joshua there becomes the new Moses. It's where they go to Jericho and they march around the city and they scream at the walls of Jericho and the walls of Jericho collapse and they take the city even though they don't have weapons and they don't have a military. And God says, just, just see if I won't protect you. Just see if I can't do this for you, Israel. And you got all these back and forth. They, they go to war. It's a, it's, a, it's a great, Justin did a sermon series on it. It's a Game of Thrones type of story in the book of Joshua. When you get to the second half, we're going to jump ahead to the second half of Joshua because it's a part we normally ignore. For us today, if you're doing the Bible in a year, um, I know, you're not. Um, if you're reading the Bible in a year with us, um, when, you, when you get to Joshua 13, it gets boring as all crap. Right? It's just land allotments. Who cares? I don't. Who really cared was Israel coming back from their Babylonian excursion where they were exiled to Babylon. They really cared about that land diversion. Talked about, because what it did is it showed that God was faithful to them then. God can be faithful to us now. So even the land allotments become sacred. And that's what we're going to think about from now until Christmas. We're going to start in Joshua 13.1. When Joshua had grown old. So now remember, Joshua was there during the Exodus. This Joshua is an old man at this point. When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, You are now very old, and there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. Joshua was faithful in their first excursion into the promised land when they found giants. And when everyone else was afraid, Joshua said, no, 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 we can take them because God is on our side. Dangerous rhetoric. Joshua was faithful in the face of fear and being overwhelmed. And God says, Joshua, my guy, you're the guy. You're going to lead my people because you are faithful. You are not afraid. You take God at his word. And here, Joshua is a very old man. And he, he's done about half the job. About half the job has been accomplished. Judah has their territory. Jerusalem has been conquered, kind of. It'll go back and forth. There's a detail here, though, that's easy to miss, that's really important for the rest of how we study this. That phrase, here, I have to look this up. That phrase, grown very old, that phrase, grown very old, is better translated as aged by the accumulating days. 
Joshua has been aged by the days that have stacked on top of him. And I think because we live in a culture that worships youth and vitality and doesn't know what to do with age and wisdom, when you read Had Grown Very Old, you think, well, his story's about over, right? I realized I crossed a line like at 45. I'm like, well, just done now. Just <laughs> I've done all the stuff I'm going to do at this point. Um, the phrase there in Hebrew is that ken ba bayamim. Joshua's an old dude, but what that phrase means is it's used two other times in scriptures. Two other times somebody has grown very old with this exact phrase in Hebrew. David and Abraham are the other two people who get the designation. And what happens is that this phrase, you are now very old, is not a prelude to their death. It's a boundary marker or a chapter marker to say the next phase of your life is about to start. You have done good work. Now let's do the rest of it. You have been prepared by what has come before you. Jo David, Abraham, Joshua. You have been prepared by the, day, by the accumulating days that have stacked upon each other. They have given you wisdom. They have given you experience. They have made you faithful. Now let's do the work. We've got to go finish the work. It's a signal that God has something for you to do, and your age is not a barrier. The work, the work that God is calling Joshua to is the work of giving Israel their place in the world. Israel, God says, has a place. They have a job to do, and that job is connected to geographic space in the ancient world. The mission doesn't work if they can't be in the land. A tremendous amount of evil has been done because of that. A tremendous amount of evil has been done because people think they can justify because God has said we should have this land, we can do whatever it takes to have that land, right? That aside, they can't do the job that God's called them to do without the land that God's given them through Joshua. And what God is saying is, Joshua, I know you're old, Let's get to work, because it is going to be God who does the work with Joshua. Let's hold that thought for a second. What do you think, what do you think legend's place is? When we started, we met in Justin's living room, and there were 10 of us, 12 of us in a Bible study. Um, there were people there that met with us and were like, to become born in this church, they were like, yeah, absolutely not. Um, we had a place, and we were in Justin's living room. And then we grew, and then we had a place in Justin's living room and my living room. And then we grew, and we kept adding living rooms. And before we had a church structure, before we had documents, before we had the legal stuff, before we had the fundraising, before we had all the stuff, all the equipment, we had a place in the Cincinnati neighborhood of Oakley, and we had homes where we met in, and that was our place. And then, trickster God uh, said, no, let's try some other place. 11 years in Oakley we were. 11 years where we were integrated in their culture. We were involved in the community. We were doing things in their schools. And God said, let's look at Madisonville. And through a weird series of coincidences, um, Stephanie found us, a place, found us this place in Madisonville. We've been here for four years-ish. Is Madisonville our place? 
What would it look like if Madisonville was our place? Do we have a geographic place? I, um, because I'm weird, I like to take all of your addresses and copy and paste them into a Google map. And I like to see, I like to see the spread of Legend Community Church. And it used to all be within like three or four miles. It used to be like, let, let, let's say from Ronald Reagan Highway to downtown, if you think of a map of Cincinnati. Now, um, like Corey and Sam Ryan live in Canada. Um, <laughs> Drew and Daniela live in Mexico, um, <laughs> right? We have this gigantic spread of church now. Like where we used to be this little tiny neighborhood church, we're all over this region now. How does that change our place? Do we know what our sense of place is? I have an idea. I'm not sure we have an idea. There's still work to do, God says. There's places for us to be. There's places where God's called forth his kingdom, his love, his mercy, his grace, his new creation. There's places where God has called forth the imperfect. There's places where God has said, I'm going to lift up the oppressed and lift up the outsider and lift up the people that were never included because I'm going to build something remarkable with them. What's it look like for us to have a place? The rest of the book of Joshua is going to be Joshua getting a place for Israel. I've always thought about this in two ways. One, collectively, we have a place I think, where we meet together. Madisonville right now. We all come together in Madisonville, whatever neighborhood we're from, right? Madisonville should always be better because of the work of Legend Community Church. We should be folks that are loving. For every single person that lives here and has lived here for generations, the, uh, the Methodist Church, Gaines out here on Madison Road, have been there for 150 years. 150 years they've borne witness to the goodness, to the grace, to the mercy of Jesus Christ, and they're being gentrified right out of this neighborhood. We should be the folks on their side saying, uh-uh, those folks have borne witness, have been the kingdom of God here for a long time. What are we doing to help them? What are we doing to be a good church in Madison? How are we showing up at the community in the, in the, the um, two days in the park events? How are we showing up at Meek for the good work that they do? How are we showing up to clean up the, um, the community cleanup days that Matt Cable's organizing all the time? Are we a blessing to the community of Madison where God has called us? Do we bear witness to the new kingdom here together? That's my goal. I'm going to pummel you with opportunities to do that. The second one should be you as an individual. You as an individual will leave here and you will go back to a place. You will have neighbors. You will have people on your street. You will have coworkers. You will have enemies. Do you have a place there where you bear witness to the kingdom of God in that place? That will be up to you. Your call in your neighborhood will be different than my call in my neighborhood. I was joking around. We got new neighbors. I think I told you guys the stories. We got new neighbors that paid like $1.2 million for their house. And for that kind of money, you should not have to live next door to me. Um, there should be some gatekeeping that comes with $1.2 million of house, right? Like the day they moved in, I'm outside without my shirt on, shoveling mulch and listening to Leonard Skinnerd. And they're like, I'm like, I am so sorry, guys. This is not as bad as it gets. Um, man. Ministry to them is, we were the yuppies when we moved into that street, and now we're the old rednecks that are pulling that street down. Um, ministry to them is different than the folks that you're ministering to in your neighborhood. Everybody's got a call. Who are your neighbors? Are they being loved? Are you responding to the place God's called you to right now? God loves the people in that place. Let's look at one more piece of scripture. 
This is the second phrase that I like. As for all the inhabitants, this is a couple verses later, verse 6. As for all the inhabitants of the mountain regions from Lebanon to Mishrath Maim, that is, all the Sidonians, I myself will drive them out before the Israelites. Be sure to allocate this land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have instructed you, and divide it as an inheritance among the nine and a half tribes of the nine and a half tribes of the tribe of Manasseh. Here, God says Israel right now is probably somewhere at Bethel, between Bethel and and Jericho. So right in this center plain of Israel. What God says to them is there's still work to do in the north, but I'm going to do that work. All that land up there near Syria and Damascus, all that land up there, I'm going to drive the inhabitants out of that land, Joshua. Don't worry about it. Joshua, don't worry about it. I'm going to go do the work. Divide the land up as if it's already divided. Divide the land up, excuse me, as if it's already conquered. Divide the land up as if you already inherit it. What Joshua is called to here by God himself is an act of profound hope. Because God says, I know you think you can't. They've already gotten beat in the north is the problem. The problem is in the northern tribe. The northern tribes of Israel have lost. The tribe of Dan in particular has been really nasty because they won't do their job. They go after other people that God has not given them the land for. God says to Joshua, I'll take care of that thing you think you can't do. Israel, he says, go ahead and divide it up. Believe that this is already done. Act as if I've already won. Live in the future that you want to be. Let's break this down into two parts. Israel has a national identity. The land is given to all of them. All of Israel won't be whole until all the land is conquered. Right? So it's not enough for Judah to have their land until all 12 tribes have their land. Each individual place, each individual tribe has to have their place. There is diversity at the table. Each individual is welcome. Each individual has a role. Go back and read the end, of, um, the end of Genesis where they go through and describe all the sons of Israel. Each one is wildly different. They have a role to play in the kingdom. They have a unique identity and things that they're supposed to do. And it will not be made whole until everyone is welcome at the table. Church, God needs everyone at the table. And God has created a spot for everyone at the table. The tribes cannot be monolithic. The tribes will fight. They will not get along because they're not monolithic. This is what people do. But everybody's invited to the table. And the vision here, this hopeful vision that says, give them them the land before we've even conquered it. This hopeful vision says that our individual identity, our unique identity is only meaningful in the concept of the whole. Who I am as an individual person, is only valuable in the context of being part of the new, redeemed, new creation. Yesterday, I went to the Renaissance Festival. These are my people. This is my home. These are the, and they are weirdos, right? And I showed up in costume. I made myself props. I 3D printed wizard staffs. I wandered around. And I wasn't even the weird one, Right? <laughs> And I didn't think once about judging the other people at the Renaissance Festival because these are my folks, right? I'm welcome there, and I get to be myself in that context. You, individually, are welcome here, and your likes 
your, your stories, your traumas, your gifts, whatever it is that you bring to the table is welcome here just as everyone else's is. And God says we have to have all the land and everybody has to have their place at the table. Everybody has their place at the table. And now that's easy to say. It's easy to say. It's hard to do. You and I live in a world that desperately needs to hear, that desperately needs to hear that everybody's welcome at the table, but they'll only hear that if we practice that everyone's welcome at the table. And for that to work, we got to carve out a big old table where everybody's got to see that. And we have to act as if God's already done that work for us. What can we do to welcome more people to our table? What can we do to welcome more people into the conversation? What can we do to value every single person and every single contribution and say, I think you're crazy as all get out, but I love you and you're welcome here. Right? What can we do? What can we learn from people? What can we value in other people? What can we see in other people? And what can we act as if God has already renewed and redeemed even while we're waiting for it to happen. I think, I think that happens when we begin to act as if God has already fulfilled his promises, which is what Joshua's called him to act like. I know you're an old man, Joshua. Uh, last week, uh, for those of you here, last week was Legend's 15th anniversary. Um, that's a remarkable thing that I think probably, I think a lot of us grew up in churches that have been around for a long time, so the church feels established. For a young church to last more than a year is ridiculous. It's very, very hard. Um, Justin and I have aged 30 years in those 15 years um, because planning a church is a lot of work. Um, and as I was reading this this week, I felt like God said, Jason, you're a very old man. Um, you got work to do, right? We got the first half. We had the church. We know, we know what God's called us to. We know this community that God's called and willed into existence against our best efforts to screw it up. Um, are we ready for the next phase of what God's called us to? And can we act as if it's already come to be? In your mind, stop right now. Stop right now and close your eyes. Imagine we're worshiping together 15 years from now. What does it look like? Where are we? Who's there? God has a vision for our church. God has a vision for Legend Community Church in Madisonville, in Oakley, in Hyde Park, in Mason, in Deer Park, and whatever neighborhood you're living in right now, God has called you to faithfully embrace what the work that he's doing in you, around you, and through you, and then in us, around us, and through us. We're all a little wary. We're all a little wary, and we should be, about anything that looks like colonization. Man, the church has got so much sin to repent of. And we should never be ashamed to say that. The church sinning is just proof that the story holds true, right? That we all are in desperate need of a Savior who can do what we can't do. Um, we're all real wary of anything that looks like colonization. 
we have to do this in a way that doesn't look like the way the world does it. That's the mistake the church has made. The church has made the mistake of conquering land and taking over people just in the way that everybody else did it. They've taken the cultural values and just imported them and said, that makes sense. We have to not do that. Can we bear witness to the goodness and the fruit of new creation? Can we honor each one of your individual identities, each unique thing that God has called you to? Can we honor that and have that be part of the new thing God's doing? I'm going to have the band band come back down. When we gather at the table of communion, when we gather to say that this is Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected, what we say is no to things like colonization and the ways of the world. What we find out is that the world is brought to love and the world is brought to new creation by death and by weakness and by submission, which the forces of darkness never saw coming. As you come down, what I would ask, what I would ask is I would ask you to pray for two things. You pick them or pray for both of them if you're a fast prayer. First, what do we look like in 15 years? What does this community church look like in 15 years? Are Justin and I still here? Have we moved on? Have you removed us forcibly? Right? What does this church look like 15 years from now? And more importantly than what you want, what does God want this church to look like and how can we make that come to pass? The second question to pray for is who should we be welcoming to the table that isn't here yet? What land, what territory needs conquered that God's going to go ahead of us in? Who's going to go, who are we going to go welcome into the community to say you're welcome here even though you've been told you aren't? Who are we going to meet who's been told they're not welcome at the table of God and we will go forward to tell them, but dear child of God, you are beloved and welcome here. There's a whole world that needs to hear that. Ask God those questions. Take notes on those questions. Own those questions. Come tell me and Justin what God's telling you. Right? We want to be obedient to that. I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you for your table. Thank you for this amazing thing that you're doing in the world, Lord. Thank you for the way that it shames the powers and the principalities. Thank you for the way that you are steadfast in your victory over sin and death. And you just keep going, Lord. Meet us here in the table. Meet us in your death and your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.
Um, man, we moved Barely Theology to next week because our friend Keith is going to be gallivanting around Ireland for Sam Hain um, and conquering all of Ireland on Halloween. So we're going to do that Barely Theology next week, which is a change. We'd love for you guys to be there. Um, when God talks to Joshua, at the very beginning, when God sends Joshua out, he says, um, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people and inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Brothers and sisters, you go forth in the power and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Be strong and very courageous. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks.